thousand stories of love. She snuck into worship after the service had already begun and sat way in the back so that no one would notice her. And the pastor of this little congregation noticed we had a visitor, stopped the proceedings, and asked her to stand up and introduce herself. Oh, my Lord. The whole crowd is going this way. Jesus stops, turns, and starts looking, and she knows who Jesus is looking for. Meanwhile, there stands Jairus, wondering what the holdup is. Imagine his sense of urgency. Wait until this religious leader finds out that a ritually impure, bleeding woman is keeping Jesus from getting to his dying daughter. This whole thing is a nightmare. Before I begin, I will just let you in on my process here this week. I've spent the last several days cutting stuff out of this message I'm about to preach. So uh, that said, it's a little longer than usual because <laughs> Ron, Ron literally clapped at that. <laughs> um, <laughs> that said, because you got yourself out of bed, made your way uh, through the rain over to worship today, we're going to give this the time that it deserves. It's going to be a little, a little bit longer than usual. So because I know we have mental clocks running in our heads that are finely tuned, I'm going to ask you to disable that for a moment. Uh, we are on our way to six words at the end of this message. Six words that will stand on the foundation we will build to get there uh, of this gospel passage we'll go through in a moment. In the poem, Mending Wall, Robert Frost wrote, Before I built a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in and walling out, and to whom I was like to give offense. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. When Frost wrote this famous poem more than a century ago, he told the story of a man who was frustrated with a neighbor who seemed satisfied at a self-evident truth he had uh, gotten from his own father, which is that good fences make good neighbors. And in the poem, Frost explores the question of why. Why is that true? Jesus lived in a day when most people were, we could say, consumed with making security borders of one kind or another. The powerful, the wealthy, built barriers of brick and stone to protect themselves from others. The religious protected themselves behind laws of ritual purity to define uh, whom they were over and against those who did not keep such laws. The Pharisees saw to the details of those rules and never hesitated to remind you if you stepped out of line, you wouldn't want to fall into contact with those who could taint your cleanliness, your moral and religious purity. So Gentiles were avoided. Samaritans were vilified. Sinners were shunned and leopards, lepers were, were I said leopards because I just have been looking at them for, <laughs> no, I mean lepers were, were set aside in colonies well away from uh, the towns and kept separate. Those considered sick were kept apart, which included women uh, who were menstruating 
It included those who had uh, recently buried family members. They had to stay set apart for a period of time uh, before they could be considered uh, pure again. So I just want to keep all of this in mind as we walk through this rich gospel passage uh, together. Verse by verse. Verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So, you know, we could say so much for finding some peace and quiet. In Mark's gospel, Jesus had just set free a man who was said to be possessed of demons in that kind of dramatic story where Jesus casts the demons out of the man. They, they run and occupy a herd of swine, which then uh, hurls itself off a cliff and into the sea. So I'm sure it's the kind of day that wears you out and makes you want to go, you know, up to the lake for a little bit, which is what Jesus was trying to do. Verse 22, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. This is interesting. What's he doing there? Has he come to test or to trap Jesus, to discredit him? Just a couple of chapters earlier, we're in the fifth chapter now, but in the third chapter, the religious leaders were there reprimanding Jesus for healing somebody on the Sabbath. Oh, and they also accused Jesus himself of being possessed. What's this religious leader doing now, throwing himself at the feet of Jesus? Verse 23, he he pleaded earnestly with Jesus, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. It's clear that this religious leader is desperate. It's clear that the creeds and codes and rules and laws of his own observed religious faith tradition were not doing for him what he so desperately needed done. So he does not turn to his religion. He turns to this person. Verse 24, So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Not So Jesus took the opportunity to call this guy a hypocrite, to remind him how his cronies had called Jesus possessed and scolded him for healing somebody on the wrong day of the week. No. Not so Jesus told Jairus, it's too late, there's nothing that can be done for your daughter, and I'm on my way somewhere, by the way. No. Simply, Jesus went with him. Jesus changed his direction. Jesus adjusted his own plans and went a different way. Verse 25, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Wait, what? She better not let Jairus, the religious leader, who knows the rules and the ritual purity codes like the back of his hand see her. Verse 26, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She was hopeless. She was without hope. Like Jairus, she was 
desperate. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and and touched his cloak. When she heard about Jesus, I wonder how that happened. Did, Did someone tell her? What did she hear? Has anyone ever heard about Jesus from you? What brings you to Jesus? She came up behind him. She's, she's trying to remain invisible. Remember, Jesus is following Jairus. There's a huge crowd pressed in around them. They're all going the same direction. They're all facing this way. So she thinks she can remain invisible. She sneaks up behind the flow of traffic. She knows full well what people think about her. If they see her coming, they're going to start diving out of the way so that she doesn't accidentally brush up against them. She's not pure. Verse 28. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Clearly, she does not understand the process of religious healing. She wasn't allowed into the faith community because of her, you know, condition. So she never learned about the laying on of hands. Remember, Jairus knows. He asked Jesus to come and lay hands on his daughter, but she doesn't know. You don't just sneak up and touch the garment of of somebody who heals I'm reminded many years ago, Lori and I were, were traveling in Norway and we had stopped at this, this information building where tourists come and, you know, ask questions about public transportation and so forth. And I was kind of standing back and I started to notice this guy who was, he was pickpocketing people is what he was. He was really good, but I, you know, I, called him out because I could see what he was doing. And this sort of reminds me, you can't just, you can't just sneak up and steal a healing like you're pickpocketing someone. Verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Okay, but that's not how it usually works. All right, It's not how it's supposed to work. It's interesting that Mark uses the word freed here rather than healed. She felt free. Because, you know, if you think about it, even people who are healed, eventually they get sick again. Huh? We all do. Even people who have been raised from the dead, Lazarus, the the, the widow's son at Nain, even people raised from the dead eventually die again. We all do. But if Jesus sets you free, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed, the gospel says. Verse 30, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Now this has to terrify this newly freed woman. She did not want to be found out. 
She snuck into worship after the service had already begun and sat way in the back so that no one would notice her. And the pastor of this little congregation noticed we had a visitor, stopped the proceedings and asked her to stand up and introduce herself. Oh my Lord! The whole crowd is going this way. Jesus stops, turns, and starts looking. And she knows who Jesus is looking for. Meanwhile, there stands Jairus, wondering what the holdup is. Imagine his sense of urgency. Wait until this religious leader finds out that a ritually impure, bleeding woman is keeping Jesus from getting to his dying daughter. This whole thing is a nightmare. Verse 31. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? Okay, sarcastic disciples. Verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Jesus scanning the crowd. What's he looking for? Verse 33, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, she told Jesus the whole truth. Have you ever been so afraid that you were trembling? This woman has been shunned and shamed her whole adult life. She must not have been faithful, the religious people believed. Her religion must be be wrong. She must have done something, or perhaps her parents. Maybe she's a foreigner, or a Muslim, or gay, or Democrat, or, you know, whatever it is, whatever category bugs you. Maybe she's a member of MS-13, or she's an illegal, or Missouri Synod, I don't know. You have your own list. Whatever it is, the cat is out of the bag. And it's time now for Jesus to speak. He's going to yell at me. He's going to yell at me, she must have thought. Cowering at his feet, trembling with fear. He's going to condemn me for sneaking a healing I am not worthy to receive. Maybe he'll just give me back my illness. She was trembling with fear. What about you? Here where we claim to be in the presence of Jesus, are you sure you're worthy to be here? In a couple minutes we'll share in the Holy Sacrament. The body of Christ given for you, the very blood of Jesus shed for you, you up to that? You sure? Verse 34, Jesus said to her, daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed 
be freed from your suffering. Daughter. Jesus puts her in the family. That's why he brought this whole procession to a halt. So that he could say that word to this unnamed woman in public, in front of everyone, in front of Jairus. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Freed. There it is again. In a sermon preached just four days before he was assassinated, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. said these words, We are tied together in the single garment of destiny, caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. And whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. For some strange reason, King said, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the way God's universe is made. This is the way it is structured. We are tied together in the single garment of destiny. She snuck up behind Jesus to touch the hem of his garment. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? You thought the bleeding woman was terrified before imagine hearing this news 36 overhearing what they said Jesus told him that Jairus don't be afraid just believe but isn't it too late to be afraid the girl has died is the news and everyone knows death is the last word It's time to grieve, not to fear. It's time to rage at the delay or just collapse in despair. 37, he did not let anyone follow him, that's Jesus, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. In other words, Jesus takes the church with him on this holy errand, those of us who claim to be his followers, his disciples. He wants us up close for what's about to happen. He wants us to see something. Verses 38 and 39, When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Why all this commotion? Verse 40, but they laughed at Jesus. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was, laughing at Jesus, laughing at those who believe Jesus can make a difference 
laughing at a faith tradition that teaches us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to welcome the stranger, to serve the least of these. Jesus puts them all out and he took the church in with him. He wants us to see something. And I wonder if the newly freed, formerly bleeding woman is there for this. I have to imagine after Jesus put her in the family, called her daughter, that she kept following. Verse 41, Jesus took the little girl by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up, rise up. But you can't do that. You can't touch someone who is presumed to be dying or or dead. Even Jairus knows better than that. You don't touch the ritually impure. Jesus is once again caught red-handed. 42, immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was about 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. I imagine they were. 43, Jesus gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is kind of practical Jesus, right? Let's stop gawking at the girl and get her a Lunchable. She's hungry. She's alive now, right? And, and, and maybe also unrealistic Jesus. I mean, the entire crowd is pressed in around the outside of this little house. They are going to exit the house. Does he really expect that the word that the, the little girl who was dead has now been raised to new life is not going to leak out? Early in our one-read book, those of you who are reading uh, the book Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, author Kate Bowler describes the reactions of those closest to her when they learn of the shocking news of her terminal cancer diagnosis. Kate writes about her dad when he strides into the hospital after getting this news to see Kate just prior to her emergency surgery. She writes, He will take my hand in one hand and stroke my hair with the other. This is my father, the impervious giant, who will never cry about my diagnosis. He will not allow it the dignity of defining a damn thing about his daughter and her future. 34, Jesus said to the woman, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Daughter, she's his now. And Jesus will not allow her illness the dignity of defining a damn thing about his daughter, or her future. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. That wall is our sinfulness. It's our selfishness, our brokenness, our fear. And that something there is, is the gospel. And you, 
you are the Lord's own child.